the first thing I have to teach you, unfortunately, is how to navigate around the other white hairdressers in this industry. I said, this is the most important thing that I need you to learn. You need a thick skin because they're going to come for you. Hello and welcome to or welcome back to the Open Up Podcast. I'm Elliot Knight. Thrilled that you're here as always for another conversation. And my goodness, what a conversation today. This is a big topic and you will have already heard the theme of this episode mentioned throughout previous episodes this season. Hair, particularly for black artists on set or on camera, is a hot-button issue in entertainment that's already received attention in mainstream media. There is barely a black actor who hasn't regularly experienced their hair needs not being met or even considered as working professionals in their working environment. And it is the result of a system that doesn't allow room for diverse artists to be properly seen or catered for, while the other artists around them get everything that they require. It's not a new issue. Many people have had experiences. As I said, it's already been talked about, and there is a conversation that we're not starting, but we're definitely adding to today. And this revealing episode explains why that happens, how to change it, possibly, and why it matters so much. It's about more than just hair. And if you don't understand that now, hopefully you will over the next hour. And honestly, I could not ask for a more incredible artist to open this up with. Here is their ID. Identify myself as a Black woman, a strong, misunderstood Black woman oftentimes because of myself being so um, opinionated about my beliefs based on my experiences and most of all these shared experiences that I have with the cast that I work with and just in my career in general. But I am definitely a Black woman, a very proud Black woman. (laughs) Stacey Merriman is one of the very rare Black heads of a hair department in entertainment and an absolute joy and a beauty, a queen of a human being. As you will hear in the episode, Stacey and I met on set of a production that was filming in Toronto, where Stacey's based, and this was before she was a head of department. And it was a traumatic hair experience of my own on that job that bonded us together. You are about to hear Stacy fearlessly open up on her stories of being blacklisted for speaking up about racist behavior on her very first job. She'll talk about the beauty and the critical importance of acknowledging and celebrating and respecting black hair. How the industry is still not doing that at least not a good enough job, and the crucial issue of unions and their blocks in the face of change. Stacy is graceful, real, vulnerable, and so, so generous in this fascinating conversation. And not only do I hope that you enjoy it and that you really hear what's being shared, because there is a lot in here, but I also hope that you will share this episode with a friend. 
this theme, as I said, affects so many diverse, particularly black artists. It's so important. We almost all share this in common. And so an understanding of these issues and of the potential paths towards change are so, so important. And the best way that we can have an effective conversation is to share it with as many people as possible. I want to thank you again for listening, listening for the second time, the third time. If someone shared this with you, thank you for clicking on the link because it is so important that conversations just like this are heard so that we can all work together to make some change. So thank you for being here. You, I'm sure, will fall in love with Stacey just as much as I have since I met her over this next hour, and I will see you on the other end of it. This is episode seven hair in entertainment with the amazing Stacy Merriman. I'm going to share with you when I first initially started doing hair um, in the industry. Mm, when was that? Uh, I started in 2015 on Quantico mm. and I was asked to to come on to work with um, Ingenue Ellis, who's absolutely lovely. So they found me at a natural hair salon and they were looking for someone to color her hair. Mm. I said, yes, booked the appointment. I colored her hair. The uh, co-department head from Atlanta, Andrea Brotherton, she contacted me after and explained that Ingenue, you know, enjoyed being with me and that she was looking for someone you know, to come in and, you know, when she couldn't be there to help her. And I was like, this exists. Like you can, I can work in film in Montreal. Like we, mm. we do that here. And I was like, how do I do this? Cause I, it's not brought to your attention. No one has ever said, Hey, we want you, you know what I mean? Come and join the union and be a part of the TV and film industry. It's mm. something that I've always wanted to do. Really? I didn't know how to go about it. No one tells you this in hairdressing school or anything. You know, they're just like, do your thing. Right, right. And and I know I asked you about this already too, but in hairdressing school also, what was your experience of that? Because as I understand it, generally speaking, you do not require an understanding or training in diverse and ethnic hair types and textures to become a qualified hairdresser or stylist, especially to work on set. Which, a, another thing that just is baffling to me, that even if it is has been a truth, has not been addressed and changed, it's easy. The people are there, the knowledge is there, but it still seems like that's not something that's happened. No, it's not happened at all. When I was in hairdressing school, I was actually asked by my teacher to take a, she carved out a couple of hours in the day to teach basic black hair care to my class. I was like, because I was like, wow, I came to learn how to do coloring and to um, cut. Like I wanted to improve the techniques that I self-taught myself. So I, I was like, well, if I want to work in fashion and stuff. I want to know how I can do all of this. Mm -hmm. And then I would, I would come in with a different hairstyle every week. I would wear a lot of extensions and hair weaves and they'd be like, how are you doing this? And I'm like, Oh, I just, I, you know, I, I sometimes I would glue in the tracks or sometimes I would sew them in and they'd be like, you have to teach us how to do this. And then I was like, yeah, well, first 
you need to know how to handle a black woman sitting in your chair. I was like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, never mind the actual technique. I was like, right. We'll get to the some confidence in your black client first, and that starts with having a knowledge and understanding of their hair type, the the products that you can use to manipulate that particular hair type to do whatever style it is that you want to do. It was short and sweet and cute and I loved it. And um, I, I, at the time, I didn't think of it as being something I should be like, hey, no bells went off that said, I should start my own, you know, hairdressing school to mm. teach how to do black hair. Mm. I was basically at that particular time thinking a single mom with two kids, uh, I, I, I quit university. I'm not going to become a social worker. I'm actually going to pursue this dream I've had since I was seven and playing here for the rest of my life. Cause this is what I've always envisioned for me. Oh. And this is what I want to do. Yes. So I, I, I just took a leap of faith. This was, this is it. And honestly, ever since I did that, the doors have just been opening fast forward to today. There's, um, a hairdresser in Montreal, Nancy Falez, with whom I'm very fond of. And she has started a petition to force the Quebec government to make it mandatory that they start teaching black hair care um, and hairdressing in schools. Oh, yes. Super proud to shout her out because um, she has her own hair salon. And she does do natural hair care. And, and she was somebody I was really, uh, when I'm here in Toronto filming, I would always give her name. And one of the difficulties with being in the film industry as a black hairdresser is that you don't get called for work often. So you're kind of bargaining with yourself, like, mm, do I do this? The salary's great, but eh, it's only for three months. And then after that, what do I do? So you, you opt to just staying at your salon job because it's consistent you know, mm -hmm. and you know that you're always going to have work. You don't necessarily always, especially in Montreal, have work um, unless there is a black cast member or if you're working background and they've exhausted all their resources and they can't find anyone else. These are my experiences. Right. And so that's, that's the hard part in wanting to reel people in, in Montreal. And I keep saying in Montreal because Toronto, there's more diversity here. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like I found my tribe because you will get called for everything, which is fantastic. There's no, I mean, there are questions like, oh, do you do black hair? Because there are going to be several black cast members. So we need to know that you're able to do braids, extensions. So ask these specific things, you know, which is awesome. But in Montreal, it's very limited. It's so nice to hear that you're, you're talking about people asking you about specifics. And these are the specifics we need for the cast and for the black cast members for their hair types and their hair needs. And uh, it's interesting because it's startling, because I know in my experience, uh, working in Canada and America, I almost exclusively find that there is never any specificity when it comes to the attention of black hair on my hair. If there's any at all, mm -hmm. it's normally just, oh yeah, we can, you can have an Afro said the person who's not trained in my hair type or as I experienced recently, oh, I know how to do it and then shaves all of my hair off and doesn't action, not in the correct way, yeah. not what I've asked for. And I will get into that. But it's, <laughs> it seems like one of the big issues is specificity and lack of awareness and knowledge of, I don't know if it's just, I would like to learn more. 
I don't know if it's just the hair department or the hair head. I don't know if it goes to production as well. Um, but it's clear that there's not enough awareness or knowledge that there are specific needs as standard, as standard, not extra requirements, as standard. There are specific needs for diverse hair mm-hmm. and hair textures and hair types. And they should be and deserve to be treated with importance just like typical straight European hair does. When you have every technique and product and 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 piece of equipment to make someone who has straight hair typically and generally speaking white people look and feel great and confident in the way that they want to whatever they desire without them having to even think about it or ask for it Mm -hmm. that's incredible that's amazing that's something to be proud of on set however that pride falls away when you turn left and turn right to your non-white cast members or members of the cast who have different hair textures or hair needs and you don't have any products that are specific to their hair type. You don't have any techniques or training, often is the case, uh, uh, generally on sets where they're not specializing or the whole cast does not have a, a similar need. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, that pride falls away. I know for me, so many times I've just felt like this production really feels like it's okay for someone who doesn't know how to cut my hair to just experiment on me. And I should assume that that is my standard of excellence to accept. It's okay for me to go on camera to be recorded forever, looking however someone has decided I should look with guesswork because they would like to. Mm-hmm. When everyone else around me gets to have someone who's specialized and trained for decades and gone to school and done, you know, years of training to just to know how to straighten and blow out or not to not to minimize that. I'm not a hairdresser, but do you know what I mean? I, I get it. Absolutely. It's just, yes. It's frustrating. So some background for listeners. Uh, Stacy and I met recently on a job that I was doing in Toronto. I had, I knew that I was going to come onto this job and I, knowing my experience with hair on set, knowing that it's not something that as standard production tends to cater for diverse hair types or textures or needs. In my case, black curly hair. I asked about a month or three weeks before I even flew to Toronto. I need someone who's trained in cutting black hair or who even has their own life experience because it's their own hair or just grew up doing that. I know this has plenty of people, plenty of barbers. That is their training and it's legitimate, but it's often just not acknowledged. I just need someone who knows how to cut my hair to cut my hair. That's all. I'm not asking for anything crazy. I made that request. That request seemed to be um, taken on board and my hair was cut by someone who clearly had no training in my hair type, who I had no idea was not the person who I had been led to believe was trained in the appropriate professional to be cutting my hair on set. They introduced themselves as such. And so I trusted in the process that I'm supposed to participate in. They cut my hair. Instantly, my head was shaved. And constantly were saying every few seconds, don't worry, I know how to cut your hair. Don't worry, don't worry. You listen to me. If you go on set and someone's cutting your hair, you go anywhere and you're getting your hair cut and someone is saying to you, don't worry, don't worry, I know how to cut your hair. Over and over again, they don't know how to cut. Stand up and leave. (laughs) Because I I wish. But British me sat there all polite like, oh, great. Yes, that's so great. Thank you. And then, you know, 40, 45 minutes later, my hair was ruined. And I'm Stacey, I don't know if I said this or not, the worst haircut of my entire life 
Mm-hmm. I have never seen so much of my scalp before. And also not the haircut I asked for. I asked for a fade that's longer on top, which my hair already was, just a messier version. I ended up with a military bus cut with gaps all over my head. Wow. Stacy was not that person. <laughs> Stacy was my lifesaver who I was introduced to. So I learned that I, I, I guess you are the person that I should have been introduced to in the first place. Yes. I think in your case, there was a miscommunication mm-hmm. and a level of ignorance that um, was like, I'm just going to do it anyway. And if you're going to prove a point, please do it on a day where I don't have to go on camera. You know, like that's fine by me. Find a friend, do it then. But if this is something that was specifically asked for by a cast member, you, you give the cast what they need. For example, if a, a white cast member comes in and says, well, I need to make sure that my hair, uh, you know, I need this Kevin Murphy product. I need you to blow dry it straight and then flat iron it and do whichever. That would be respected. And as soon as they walk in, everything is laid out for them. A black cast member will say, well, I need to make sure that you have my shea moisture, some coconut oil, and um, I need you to not use um, a regular blow dry on my hair, but I need you to have a diffuser and I need my curls defined. You know, they'll come in oftentimes in my experience. And I speak personally of me because I don't want to speak for all hairdressers in this industry in general, but in, I'm just speaking of an experience that had happened. Of course. And then they come in and it's like, it's not there. And then they're brought to me and I'm stunned because I never knew they were coming in the first place. Because the idea is, well, yeah, that's great. They're asking for it, but I'm the one that's in charge. So I'm going to do it. And it's like, okay, fine. You do it at the expense of what the cast who's already asked for a specific thing. And thankfully I've already got it. So selfishly i'd like to say it works to my advantage mm-hmm. because because i like i said before like it's for me it's my duty not it's not a job it's my duty to be there and make sure that we are represented on camera properly from head to toe yes and by people that know what that means yes it's not enough to just especially when we're starting out right there's still we're building up proper strong authentic representation on screen And there are so many specificities within that. Personally speaking, for me, I don't think it's a good enough bar to set Mm -hmm. to just have people again who don't belong in a space but decide to take it anyway because they have the power or privilege to. Yes. To say, oh, yeah, I know how to do this, and so I'll do it. And then that becomes what defines representation. That's not appropriate, especially at the inception, at the beginning and close to the beginning of proper representation and authenticity. People of diverse identities are all across production and specifically in hair and for actors risk being labeled as divas or extra or difficult to work with because they are laying out the specific needs for their hair. They're not being extra. They're just doing work that other people haven't done. Yes. And other people next to them who don't look like them and have different needs, not that they don't have needs, just that their requirements are different, but they're already being taken care of. Yes. It's the case with a lot of people. When I was on Quantico, there was a situation where a comment was made because they were just not open to having me being there. Um, they had a union representative there to shadow me. They also had another hairdresser there 
to shadow me and watch everything that I did because it was their belief that if they watched me long enough, uh, they can do it as well. And this on for, for, for days upon days. And there was one day that I wasn't there because I did everything. I joined the union. I got sworn. I did every, all, I followed all the right steps to, to do this. And, um, just a brief little history, not to be a part of the union in Montreal, you need 90 credits. So 90, nine, zero. Nine, zero, 90 credits to become a full member. So in starting, I was considered like a permit, a permittee. So, you know, they wouldn't give me days to work to get the full credits. Um, then there was this misunderstanding that because I was Anglophone, I didn't, un- I, I wasn't born and raised in Quebec. And because I also hung a lot with the American cast and crew who seemed to have a, be more at ease with working with a black person you know they were they were just easier to vibe with they would say things about me in french literally behind my back and not know that i speak french <laughs> and i'm like yeah and i'm just listening to them and i i remember just going home crying but um it you know you have those moments where you go home and you cry because crying is better than lashing out and and giving a misrepresentation of your people and your culture because that's what I feel like they, they try it. They have that in their head, what they see on TV and, you know, angry black woman, so to mm. speak. And so. And how many of those people are going home crying over something that happened at work that day? It's terrible. I was like, I'm a grown ass woman. I'm a mom, like, you know, but. Oh, I'm sorry. It helped. And so um, one day I didn't, I wasn't there. And I got a, I got a call from my, my coworker and who I like to call my friend. And she was like, won't believe what this woman just said. And I was like, what? And she was like, well, she just said, you know, how about if I paint my face black, then maybe she'll let me do her hair. And I said, she said, what now? Have you left the building? (laughs) Yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? Yeah. She said that. How about if I paint my face black, then maybe she will let me do her hair. Because Ingenue, like yourself, had requested to have a black person trained and skilled in her natural textured hair to touch her hair. And because um, Andrea was going back to Atlanta and Anjani was comfortable with me, we were like, what? So I immediately wrote to the union and said, you know what, you can keep all of this. If this is what this being a part of this world entails, I don't want it. I don't, I don't want this. And I'm gonna say this, the union in Montreal were quick to deal with it. Um, I'm very pleased to say that. They were quick to deal with it. However, when you look at my my IMDb, my CV, you'll notice there's a gap, a four-year gap of me not getting any work. That's what happens when you speak out. You're kidding. After your work on Quantico. I was let go um, sometime in the new year. No one explained to me why I was let go. They just simply said that Andrea was coming back. And I was like, oh, okay. And I thought we would be able to work together. but I interpret it as being, we only need one black person here. We can get rid of the newbie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I interpreted as. And ever since then, I, I, after that show, I didn't get work. Up until a beautiful young actress comes to Canada, is working on a show, and she says, I tried it. You guys tried to do your best. This isn't working. I don't want to seem difficult, but I need someone who knows how to do my hair. And I get a call 
I get the acknowledgement that you were right. There is a need. And I get an apology. Oh. And I will always say this. If she didn't protest, if she wasn't persistent, if she wasn't demanding, if she wasn't quote unquote difficult about who touches her hair, Elliot, you would have never met me. You would have never met me. The worst thing you can ever say to any black woman in, in Hollywood is to label them with the, the D word, that they're difficult. Cause that stuff spreads like wildfire. It happens all the time. You can't, don't say that. Black mm -hmm. men, women, it just like, I don't want to put it gender specific, but it's, you don't label you. And to see actors go out of their way and even say to me sometimes, I don't want to be difficult. And I'm like, oh my God, how are you difficult asking for a particular, you want the curl pudding? Let's get the curl pudding. You want the, 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 the whipped mousse thing? Let's get the whip. But I don't want to be difficult and ask and showing up with your own stuff that you bought. Oof, how, what? Yeah. Yeah. While others are showing up, like you said, with the headphones plugged in and the Starbucks, and they're just like, they give their list of demands before they come in and it's already there for them. On production in general, there is this attitude that, you know, well, let's have one person to take care of the other needs. And then let's have four or five people to take care of like the regular needs. Regardless, regardless too often of what the actual makeup of the cast is that's being worked on, which yeah. I find baffling. And that it, it shouldn't fall on the actors to have to be patient with people to do something with their own bodies and appearance in a misinformed or incorrect way. That's not respectful at all. I cannot imagine any friend of mine or person I've worked with who is either white or not, but has typical straight European style hair and styling. I cannot imagine one of those people being on set and having a stylist given to them who doesn't know how to cut their hair, which in, in that world just means not really having trained in cutting hair, but they did it a couple times on their brother or someone's cousin. And so, yeah, that's who we're giving to you to take care. This is your standard of excellence. Someone who doesn't really know, but they'll give it a bash. And then you can go on camera and do the show. That's fine, right? That's not fine. And no one would accept that as fine. No one does accept that as fine no. for those people. And it's a different rule when it comes to us, when it comes to diverse representation on screen, and I believe at least one important part of that is that there are not people at the top, at the executive level, in production, yeah. in studios, enough who understand that there is a specific need and difference and it must be respected and to understand why. Because if those people were there, there wouldn't be an issue because they are the ones calling the shots. They're the ones deciding who gets to fill the spaces and who gets to choose other people to fill the spaces next to them. Mm -hmm. That has to, it has to be changed already. It needs to be done. It's, there is nothing missing from the equation that you need to wait for. Everything is there already. Mm -hmm. So just put them together, please, because we can't do it. Well, one thing I will say with Warner Brothers, they were quick to act on it. They hired who's now my mentor, Camille Friend, who is basically the liaison for 
all of us on the uh, Warner Brothers shows who was absolutely floored, by the way, when I told her what happened to you. She was like, WTF? Has she not been here? And if she, and to have her even to be a part of the Warner Brothers team for diversity, I think your situation may have been handled a lot worse if she had not said, you do know that this is something going on in several of these shows. And I've seen it with my own eyes. So this young lady's not lying. This actor's not lying. This person is clearly overstepping and not respecting what I like to term as um, the love for Black hair, mm. the needs and care for Black actors, talent as a whole, and to sometimes hear, oh, well, they're just a day player. I don't care. I want to see them. One of the articles that you sent me, I was reading through, I think it was the Hollywood Reporter one, and um, one of the quotes in there was, Black stylists have to do white hair and black hair to be able to even have an op- a chance of getting a job. Yeah. White stylists or stylists for white hair only have to be able to do white hair and they get the job automatically. So explain something to me. How does it make sense that someone who has more intricate and more diverse training is arguably less qualified to fill positions of seniority in the department? That doesn't make sense. It does not. It does not. And uh, I just want to say this because I feel like I was misquoted in the Teen Vogue magazine when writing about there's a high demand, but no hairdressers are available, to which I said, there's a high demand, but I am not available because there aren't any black hairdressers in Montreal. And I can tell you there are, there were three shows that I was asked to be a part of, but could not go because I'm here working on Titans. And I just want to make it clear for the record that there maybe up until today, there might be two black hairdressers who are in the union. And there are three actresses at the time um, that were in need of a hairdresser that I was called for that are currently working in Montreal. And Aisha, has she not put that post up? Her, the production company that she works for, wouldn't have made the effort to try to find a black department head for her show. When they had proposed that to me and said, well, we would love for you to be department head, my intuition was, I was excited because I I knew that this was something that Asia wanted, right? But I felt like they were just trying to say, well, we're going to bump her to department head, but we're also going to have another department head as well, who's going to cater to the white hair. So I feel like the reason why they were asking me was to just, okay, we're going to have Stacy do it, make Aisha happy, shut her up, no more social media posts, we're in the clear. But we also have to take care of the white cast and we need somebody for them. And I'm like, you know, why can't it be that you have a black department head who's handling all things? Why do you need to have a co-department head to handle the white hair? It was like, yeah, we want you to do this, but your focus still is gonna be only on the black hair. And that touches with what you were saying about the article from the Hollywood Reporter, where I have the skill to do both black and white, but I'm being told I can have the title, but the title is is limited to just black hair. So hell yeah, I'm gonna say no. Exactly. Why are you trying to push people to the side when they are more than capable of fulfilling the job in its entirety? Yeah. 
I'm not doing that. And trying to dangle the department head title in front of me like a carrot, you know, to say, here, we're going to give you this. That wasn't appealing to me. And when I did turn it down, it, it wasn't the same kindness that I was that I received when they were asking was not the kindness that I got when I turned it down. It was like, oh, snap. Okay. And I kind of feel like I dodged a bullet. I have a feeling you did. <laughs> Sometimes you have to say no to stand up and prove a point. There are going to be other jobs. There are going to be other opportunities. But at what cost? At what cost are you going to say yes to this? At what cost? And the unfortunate thing is that saying that there are there are people in if there's a high demand but and yet they had to find someone from Atlanta to come in to do Asia's here why because Stacy's in Toronto and the other young lady is not given the opportunity to earn her credits to become a full member because she doesn't have experience well how does one gain experience if you don't put them in the position to gain it yes do you know what i'm saying exactly and i and i said to her too the first thing i said to this young lady was there's going to be a certain um, attitude towards you, a certain resistance to wanting to teach you certain things. I was like, I'm going to teach you what was taught to me. And that's everything that I know. But the first thing I have to teach you, unfortunately, is how to navigate around the other white hairdressers in this industry. I said, this is the most important thing that I need you to learn. You need a thick skin because they're going to come for you they'll be mad because you're going to get all the jobs because they're going to realize that, oh, wait, why are they asking you all the time? Well, they have a black cast member. I'm getting the job. Mm -hmm. I think I've worked background twice ever. I've always worked with cast and in the trailer. And I've had one lady had hairdresser had the audacity to tell me, you know, there are steps and levels to this. You know, you're supposed to be starting here. Ooh. You shouldn't be starting up here. And I was like, well, I didn't know that this was up here. Like I've like I didn't know there were levels. I've always had the mindset that I am above. I have to be above the rest. I have to work harder. I have to dream bigger. I have to strive for more because I just feel that there's a standard that any any cast, any talent, anybody that I cross paths with that I must have and that I have to maintain just on my upbringing alone. But there's a standard that I've set for myself based on the people that I love and admire in this industry that I have to maintain because I represent an entire culture, me one alone. So how do we fix this? How do we fix this? How do we create, open these doors for these newbies that want to come in, who want to join the unions, who the unions are more than welcome to have come, but then you're just a name on a roster that never gets picked or, you know, or you're not chosen because you've never worked. Give somebody a chance. If you're going to have a department head, let them head the department. Like in the US, that's what they do. You have a department head and they head the whole department. They do white and black principal actors. They you know, find someone who takes care of the background performers. Like I see the Americans, I have American um, friends who all their CV literally is listed department head, department head, department head, department head. And I'm like, how does this happen in Canada? And then I'm noticing in Toronto, Toronto, you'll see it. Montreal is the issue. I'll be very truthful with you. And that's why I've stepped away from that city because I felt like I'm not, I can't keep waiting for them to, for somebody to one day say, well, let, let's give her a chance when chances are being 
and opportunities are being offered to me here in Ontario because they're more open to the idea of having that. I just wish it was more in my own hometown. So it would be easier to be away, you know, instead of being away from my family and my children, you know, like I'm seriously considering, you know, planting my roots here because at least I know the work that I do will be able to be shared. There'll be more Elliot's coming. Do you know what I'm saying? There'll be more on the Diops, there'll be more Asia D's. And I want to be able to be in a place where I will be offered the opportunities to be there for them. I don't feel that security in Montreal at all. I'm not knocking my hometown. I just feel like they've knocked me down enough and um, kicked me when I'm down enough. So now I'm here where I'm not, I'm not just in Montreal. I feel like I'm tolerated here. I'm accepted and, and, and I'm needed. Vancouver is similar to Montreal. Um, my mentor, Camille, she, she was out there and, um, it was tough. It was, she was saying it's real tough for black hair and makeup people out there. Extremely tough. You have people who they refuse to make members, haven't been in the industry for years. And they just, I don't know if they feel threatened. I don't know if they just, I, I don't know what word to use to describe the lack of inclusivity in those two provinces specifically, because it's, it's, not, it's not cool. It's just not cool. And there's so much great talent, so many great shows with such diverse casts that are being, um, that are being filmed out there. And yet people of color are limited, just BIPOC people alone are limited to certain jobs, not just in the hair and makeup department, but in each department as a whole. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic and I'm hopeful to see how things go, but I'm wondering how long is it gonna take? There is a need for, say, hairstylists, for example, to be able to rack up a certain amount or number of credits to be eligible to join a union next to the other things that they need to fulfill or payments that need to be made. But how can you get those credits? Specifically, if you are othered, mm -hmm. how can you find those opportunities to be able to be let into the mainstream union? I know you said that unions seem welcome to have people, but is it too difficult? Do unions need to make it easier for those people to be able to join? Do they need to make it easier for their security of employment to be more accessible to a more diverse range of people, in your opinion? The thing I realized with the union is that, um, like I said, they are welcoming. They want you to join. They want you to come in. It's the people within the unions that are the problem. It is the mentality of the people within the unions, some of them who have race, racist beliefs, some of them who are um, misogynists, some of them who are uh, against um, LGBTQ community. There are people who won't hire transgender hairdressers. Do you understand? Like it's deep, it's deep. So what? Yeah. We have people who are, you know, transitioning and there are people who be like, no, I, I don't want that because they're opposed to their beliefs and they'll go 
they'll have their name changed and they will still call them by the name that they no longer use. Oh, out of defiance almost. Yes. So it's not the it's not the unions per se. It's the people within the unions that need to be checked. The people who are doing the building of the teams. Um, okay. You know what I mean? Those are the people. The, the person who cut your hair is the one who's responsible for creating this change that we need to happen. Wow. The union, the union hires, uh, let's say a professor coming to town and they'll be like, okay, they're going to put a job posting up. That's their job. They put the posting up. That's it. Now who takes those jobs and who decides who they're going to hire? That's the problem. Those people are the problem. And they're, they, they're like clicks. And they'll, you know, they'll be like, oh, I heard she was this way on this show. We won't hire her. Or I heard how he was like this on that show. We won't hire her. Or let's hire her. And then we're going to treat her like a piece of crap the whole time she's here. No. I literally just yesterday heard a, a horror story that happened to a black makeup artist who the production she worked on literally paid her two weeks pay and time off. They gave her two weeks, a, a two weeks leave and two weeks of pay for time off because the her department head and her makeup department treated her so poorly as a black makeup artist that it literally caused her post-traumatic stress disorder. She had to take some serious time off. I couldn't believe this. And then my question was to my coworker, I was like, so as a white woman witnessing this, like, how do you feel in your silence? How does that make you feel in your silence, witnessing this and knowing that it's going on? How does that make you feel that if you say something, if you just say anything, that this can change? Oh, well, I didn't know because, you know, I saw how she was treating her, but she was fine with me. And I said, hmm, I wonder why. And she goes, and that's the, and I said, so how do you, so how do we get more black makeup artists? And she goes, it's challenging, Stacey, because they, they don't want them. And it's not the union. It's not the union. The union is especially after last year, they have had Zoom calls, they've had open invitations, they've had created diversity groups. Like, I was impressed with what the union's doing, but it's the people in the union. And then when you go to the union to report these people who are being racist and, you know, and all that stuff, they just get a slap on the hand. They get a write-up. No one is terminating them. There's so much like, it's very political and very detailed. And if I, I don't want to speak on it because I'm only still now learning how things are working in Toronto to which I haven't had, I haven't had an issue with the actual union, just the people in it, a handful of people in it who apparently it's like, Oh, but that's how they always are. No. Yeah. But you're just, you're, you know, you're new here. I was like, here's the thing. I'm a sister member. But within the rules and regulations of Toronto, I'm, I'm here as a permittee. I'm a member in Montreal, but there are certain rules. Toronto's like one of the hardest unions to get into, and rightfully so, because there's a lot of work here. So, you know what I mean? So the application process is different, but you can become a permit. And when I tell you, your CV can look lovely because of the amount of work and the, the, that they offer. But are you being treated fairly? on the jobs that you're taking on. That is the question and that is also the issue. And then being a permit, you're too afraid to speak up because you hear all these horror stories about, well, you can't really say anything about her because she's a senior member. And as a senior member, you know, she can really make or break you. And I was like, no, she cannot. And I, and I, I've always had this defiance in me, like, no, only I can make or break me. 
she can't determine what's going to happen to me. She does not control my future, my life. I'm going to say something. And because I did, it was, whew, it was horrible. Mm. It was horrible. The, the way they came at me and I, I held my ground. They didn't need to know I was going home crying. They didn't need to know that I was like, you know, to like documenting things, time, date, location, everything. I had to do that. I, I don't know why this is not in my job description to, you know, keep track of the racists at work. That's not like, that shouldn't be a part of it. But unfortunately, these people have certain beliefs and mindsets that they take with them for on productions that they work on. This has nothing to do with the production, has nothing to do, it has to do with the people that are being hired and their mental state and the cliques that they formed and these old racist mentalities and trying to step, keep you down, literally will try to keep their foot on your back. And for what? Because you know how to do both hair types and they don't, or they don't want to. And also I'm sure that means that they get to create, not just bring in their own views, but they then have the freedom to create whatever environment they want yes. for everyone within the department and who interacts with the department. Yes. So especially for department heads, it would seem to me that it's not just about experience or what qualifications you think someone have might have in training, but there maybe needs to be more awareness of the importance of the tone and environment that is set and created by a department head when they are able to choose who fills up that department. Yes. That's important as well to pay attention to. It is. It's a, it's, it's, there's a lot to unpack and I'm just like one strong voice. You're another strong voice. There are many of us who are now unafraid to speak up because it's like you had mentioned before in a previous conversation, like we have nothing to lose. We have nothing everything to gain. To gain. Yeah. <laughs> we have everything to gain. The worst stuff is already happening yeah. <laughs> all the time. All the yeah. time. And people don't get it. People learning and being open to being educated and educating themselves is a good thing. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's fair to expect anyone to just overnight have an automatic understanding without any effort to educate. That, that would be... To all, I mean, the best description of that would be performative. I'm sure it's the best intentions, but it's it's performative understanding if you're not going through a process of education. So it's I would like to encourage people myself to say it's okay to learn. It's okay to have a conversation. It's okay to not know things. Yeah, We know there are many things I don't know because I haven't had a specific experience. Like braids and twists are not something I've ever gone through in, in my own experience. Uh, hair history that's not true i have had a weave <laughs> once we'll get to that um <laughs> but i haven't i still i've grown up in the household that does and uh with my mom and my sister and i have an awareness at the very least an awareness that there are specificities an awareness that things aren't just one broad but that's okay come to the table have the conversation i want people to feel welcome because i know that the progress and change cannot happen unless people feel comfortable enough to come to the table. And while we might not need or shouldn't have to do as much of the work that we need to, I shouldn't have to be doing this podcast. But you know what? There's a benefit to doing it. So I want to do it. We need to do it. We're, we're people And people already do it. You know, like I know I'm not the first person to do something like this. And I, 
we just want to be part of something constructive together, that's all. And we're here, the resources are here. This is one of many, and we're making it as easy and digestible as possible for you to just be aware, to do a bit of educating, but educate yourself. Growing up, we, there's this hot comb. It's a metal comb with a wooden handle, and you put it on the stove, and it heats up, and you, you, you put some grease, some oils in your hair, and you literally can hear it go tss and sizzle. So I would get my hair hot combed every Sunday, every Sunday night um, before going to bed. And I have to go to my grandmother's house. It was about a 10 minute walk away from where we lived. And I'd get my hair hot combed and me being the tomboy that I was, by the time I got home, there's a term, I would sweat it out. And sweating the, the hair out means that by the time my aunt was finished, my hair was lovely and flowy like yours. But then when I got home, it was back in a, little kinky afro and my mom would be like I don't get it and I'd have some straight scraggly pieces out and she'd be like why can't you just <laughs> come straight home why do you have to stop at the park why do you have to hang out with junior and them like why can't you just come home be a good little girl and just tie your hair down and wrap it and so it could be straight for the week and I just wasn't that kid but I went to a predominantly white elementary school and I was probably like one of maybe four black kids in the school and they would see my, me sweat out my hair and I would have to explain it to them. And I just remember being maybe like 10, 11 years old and having a friend just being like, whoa, your hair was straight like mine, but now it's, what's happening? Did you cut your hair? And I'm like, no, it's shrunk. And they're like, what do you mean it's shrunk? And they'd be like, can my hair shrink too? What, how, what do you mean? Does the rain do that to your hair? And I'm like, <laughs> I felt like, and I still am friends with those, those friends and their hair is long and flowy. Like Elsa, she reminds like long and flowy. And she's always been so curious and so open. And I just want to share with you that there's nothing wrong with asking the questions we want to be asked. You know what I mean? Especially now, because we, we want to be asked, we want to be understood. And we want for you to understand that it's okay to ask the questions, that it's okay for you to be curious about our hair textures, about anybody. It could be someone from Morocco. It could be someone from Israel, you know, like any textured hair that any hair that changes when water hits it, be curious about it. A lot of stuff for me, I can speak on myself that what stems with me being so, so, opinionated and so and, and so um feel so strongly about being here to represent uh, and take care of black hair um in film is because of my experiences as a child and you know out there are people who laughed at and this and that so I've always made it a point to make sure that our hair texture is acceptable it's beautiful it's unique and every single head is different whether you are biracial or not you know like our hair just grows and does the thing that it does so one of the things we were really excited to talk to stacy about was her work on the movie united states versus billy holiday she actually ended up doing the bulk of the work through a turn of fate for the hair of andra day who plays billy holiday in the actual movie Stacy was so excited about this. She's so passionate about the film, about her work on it. She loves Andra, and you really see her passion and excitement for what she does burst out of her when she talks about it. It's really amazing. And spoiler alert, things did get a little emotional. So here is that part of the conversation that we got to have with Stacy. Let me just say, first and foremost, I have to 
say that Charles Gregory Ross, the department head, um, may he rest in peace. He, ooh, working with him was an absolute joy. God bless him. He had like, had it not been for the vision boards that he had, because he was not only doing the principal cast, but this man, when he came in, he was teaching classes to the white hairdressers on how to do black hair so that they can make sure that they were styling the hair in the likeness that they did in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Wow. Okay? He took it to the next level. He also was using the same hair greases and the same brill cream that they used. No. Back those, yes. No it, way. When we talk about authenticity, authenticity. Like he took it. I learned so much from him. So much. I'm, I'm, forgive me. He was, he was such a joy to work with. He was funny. He was shady as hell when he was ready. <laughs> and he, he was a teacher. He was always teaching me something and not just me. He, he was always teaching. He was like, Mm -mm, that's not how we do it, honey. Uh-uh, come here, baby, let me show you. Uh-uh, uh-uh, come here. You're gonna take the hot iron, you put that in the hair. Yes, baby, it's gonna sizzle. It's gonna sizzle, <laughs> let it sizzle. That's okay, sweetie, your hair's not cooking. I was like, it smells like it's cooking. Shh, just gonna sizzle, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but I, I mean, all this to say, I'm just like, I got emotional because he he was he's a hair legend. He was, he was amazing at what he did and it was, very humbling of him to pass the baton and say, you, you can handle it. Because I did speak with him prior to, and I was like, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I can do this. And he's like, you gonna do it. You know, Miss Andrew said, you gonna do it. And I'm like, okay. And he just, anything I needed, he, he gave to me, anything I wanted. And, and it was, it then became not only trying to prove to myself that I can do this, that I wanted to prove not to only to Lee and to Andrew that I wanted to prove to, to um, Charles that I can do this. And they trusted me to do this and to see it on the big screen. I, you know, I don't even know if I'm, 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 I'm not even humble anymore. I'm feeling cocky as all hell. So I'm like, <laughs> I did that. <laughs> I'm like, I have a moment, please. Yeah. I'm like, I did that. Yes. <laughs> so I, 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 these are tears of joy and some sadness for his loss, but for me culturally, I was just blown away every day to have black makeup artists, black hairdressers, black cameramen, or black this and that, like to see, I went home and cried for a different reason because I was overwhelmed with seeing so much blackness, if I can say that. Being on set, a set like that, it really, it was an eye opener for a lot of people. To, and I feel like it opened up the conversation of racism, and segregation and the injustice because people would be like, hey, Stacia, what does it mean to strange fruit? And I'm like, let's go have some coffee. We're going to talk. And when I broke down to them, one person that I worked with cried, cried. I don't know if I can work on this set and this is too much. And I was like, this is our reality. This is, we're still dealing with this, but you don't see it. What needs to change? There are a few things that need to change. And I'll start with what Gemma had started with, and that's changing the narrative, changing the mindsets of people who believe that we can continue to do things the same and we cannot. 
creating more spaces for those who are trying to come in to these spaces, letting them know that it's possible, being a voice for the voiceless, and just moving into things fearlessly, disrupting the system, and doing it in such a way that we know that it's going, not only going to impact this generation, but also the next. That's what we're here for. <sighs> Stacy Merriman, <laughs> the industry <laughs> alone is so lucky to have you. And we're so lucky to have you today, to have this conversation with you and to be able to share it with people. Thank you so much. Thank you for inspiring me and for allowing for me to just hold my head up a little bit higher because you you definitely um, stood in front of me and you adjusted my crown. I thank you for that. I thank you for handing me my rose and for acknowledging my presence in this industry because it's not easy to be the first, especially in my city. And to be asked to be a part of this, I like I said, I just... I didn't think you'd do that. Like, it's an honor to have you fix my crown and say, okay, hey, queen, I see you. Let's talk. So don't you dare stop doing this podcast. <laughs> don't you dare find any reason not to keep bringing more. Keep this going. We need you. We need you. We need you to continue to look at things and say, I've got nothing to lose because what you've now gained as a sister friend oh, is stuck with me. I couldn't be happier about it. <laughs> we instantly connected. And I feel that, that that's the connection that should be felt whenever any black cast walks into the trailer, they should automatically know that's my people. They have my back. I'm, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to. Okay. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Elliot. <laughs> And you have reached the end of a huge open-up episode. I'm going to keep my recap short and sweet because Stacy said everything that could be said already so eloquently. But it has to be underlined because, again, this is an issue that so many artists, particularly black artists of the diverse community of artists, suffer through frequently and talk about amongst ourselves frequently. Something that seems so basic and so easy to understand still is permissible in professional environments. And it's the least professional conduct that you can think of. The fundamental issue is that a system is still in place that if you are an artist with straight hair, which tends to be white artists, you will be taken care of. If you're an artist with a different hair type, which tends to be predominantly black artists, the chances are that you will have to take care of yourself. And Hollywood is still saying in too many places that that kind of system is okay. We're saying it is really not. This is about us as a community of artists refusing to accept a low bar as a standard of excellence for what we deserve while we watch other artists around us receive treatment that's never offered to us. But we're doing the same job. The same effort is expected. But we're not given the same tools or equal tools that are appropriate and respectful to the identities that we carry in the world every day as ourselves. 
Not to mention the ways that black and diverse artists can then be perceived all around the world as if we have been properly taken care of, as if we are being portrayed in a way that we both want and choose, when often that is not the case. It has to change. Hair is an extension of our identities. And particularly amongst diverse communities and artists, hair is often a deep-rooted part of culture. This all ties into us being comfortable in our professional working environments, being allowed access to the freedom of ease and comfort to do our jobs well, as well as the person next to us. This isn't just about a haircut. It's about respect. And that's not something we should have to scream so loudly for, you would think. Too many people go through this too often. And we want to start seeing more talented, diverse artists being respected the way that they deserve. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you want to go and follow Stacey and show her some love, she's an incredible person, a fantastic artist and a pioneer in the space. She is Stacey Merriman underscore. That's Stacey Merriman underscore on the gram. And of course, you can follow us at The Open Up Pod on the gram or email us at hello at theopenuppodcast.com if you have any thoughts on today's episode or any more this season or even on this topic in general. We'd love to hear your stories too. If you have stories, if you're an artist, even if you're not, help us elevate the messages that you have to share with other people. We'd really appreciate it. Thank you as always to our amazing family of diverse artists who help bring the Open Up podcast to you in all the little ways that they help contribute. Alec Liu creates our artwork, Adsum creates our theme music, and Jay Abhol creates our additional music, like the one you're listening to right now. I'm Elliot Knight. I host, mix, and edit the Open Up podcast, and it is produced by the fantastic Gemma Hendricks at Studio Hendricks. Thank you all so much. We love getting to say your names every week and have you being a part of the family and share your talents with everyone. And don't forget, if you want to help support those talents, if you want to help spread the word, then you can open up about what you heard. And if you want to keep the show alive, hit those stars at number five. And please do not forget, if you haven't already, you've got some time left to leave a review. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Thank you for being here and for listening. Please do consider sharing this episode with a friend. If you haven't already shared one from the season, this is a great one that could be accessible to a lot of people and has potential to make a lot of change and create a great conversation. Thank you for being here and listening again. We're going to see you next time. Take care of yourselves. Be well if you are. Get well if you're not. And we'll see you soon for another Open Up. I've held my breath for so long. I feel like I've been silent for so long and it just felt nice to finally speak freely. And that's why I tell you, I, I don't stop doing this. It's necessary. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs>